Hey there, how are you? Welcome to my day 41 of Camino on a treadmill. Redoing my Camino to Santiago on my treadmill from Galway, Ireland. During lockdown, year two, 2021. Uh, today is fraught with technical problems. I discovered yesterday the sound on BK's video is out of sync. That's BK Lee, whose video I'm following. Old boy BK. So it's still out of sync today. We'll come back into sync later. So bear with me. Also today, I started late. Oh my God, it's like 8.43 now. I want to watch the Tommy Tiernan show at 9.45. Man. And also, part of the reason I'm even later than I thought, the treadmill wouldn't start earlier. I'm not quite sure what was going on, but it started up now. It trips the switch sometimes, but anyway, it was nearly a disaster, but we're back up and running. So uh, that kind of knocked me a bit. I nearly, when it wasn't working, part of me was, oh no, and part was, oh great, at least I've got an excuse. But no, damn it, I want to uh, clock up some more. Some more miles, kilometers, going to uh, try and do a few, maybe do two tomorrow, God willing. So anyway, oh, got to hold my phone, which is going to be hard. I'm wearing nothing but, <laughs> oh, never mind. I've said too much. Um, don't need to wear much when I'm doing this because I get sweaty. Steady, steady. Okay. What are we going to talk about today? That's what you're all wondering. Well, let's get the speed up first. Uh, 4.6, why not? Put my phone on. Oops, mute. Just in case. All the ladies are always calling me and it's, it will be distracting. So, anyway. The deer hunter, I talked about that in my last session. I ended up watching half of it that two nights ago and the rest today. And uh, I was hoping to fit it into my book. Somehow the deer hunter popped up as a reference in one scene, not sure why, except for there's a lot of stuff in it about male bonding, about male relationships. It's fascinating actually. No way I understood that when I saw it as a kid. Um, really interesting. We more to we, we shall talk about that and on. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I thought, oh, this might fit in. I might show Cormac and Liam, my main character and his friend, watching the Deer Hunter. They've watched it a lot, but different at different scenes at different times in their lives. Could be a nice uh, technique. Ooh technique if you don't mind you. Tis far from technique, you were rare, as we are apt to say in this country. Oh, he's getting a bit big for his boots. Would you look at him with his technique? Of course, all said behind my back. At least a German would say it to my face. What, who, who do you think you are with your technique? You are useless. You are very dumb. You are not very intelligent. Sorry, my accent needs improvement. I've heard worse. I've heard worse Irish accents from Hollywood stars, dare I say. Not mentioning any names. Sean Connery, was, did he play Darby O'Gill? Surely he couldn't have. Did he? He was in it. God, it's all a blur. It's all a blur, Tony Blore. That's what Jerry Adams used to call Mr. Blore. With respect, Mr. Blore. I was at a party once in my friend Anthony's house. Anthony, whom I feel obliged to mention every once in a while, because he's needy, neurotic. Um, I hate having needy friends like Anthony. Why can't he be mature, confident, self-sufficient like me? Of course, I'm not just any man. I'm sort of Nietzsche's Superman, I suppose. Not that I've actually read that, but I imagine that's what I am. Or, for the more, the less educated of you, I am 
Christopher Reeve's Superman. I love the original Superman films. You know why? I mean, love? Do I love? Yeah, I do. Why not? I hesitate to say it because I'm not one of these superhero fans. I'm sick of them. But the original Superman films, do you know what they had? Anyone? Anyone? Here comes a truck, by the way, with no sound because the sound is out of sync. How odd. How queer. How queer. And here comes a, another a vehicle. So, anywho. Um, boom, boom, boom. Now I've lost my train of thought. Oh my god, I was about to say, I was asking you guys a question. Anyone? Oh, Superman. Superman. Why do I like them? No one knows. Small thing called humor. Yeah. You know, a bit of humor, eh? What, what? Ah, they're so funny. I remember watching one of them. Was it Superman 4? Lex Luthor, played by anyone? Anyone? Correct. Gene Hackman. I feel like I'm retracing my steps here, but I don't think I am. I'm bloody better not be, eh? No, I'm not. Am I? I don't think so. That vehicle made me wonder, but no. Everything looks the same. It's like a bog road in Ireland. I'll get my fan on here. So, humor. Yeah, Superman 4 with my cousin Morris. God rest his soul. And I was laughing at Lex Luthor, and he couldn't understand it. He was a good bit younger than me. Poor Morris. And um, he just was looking at me because I was laughing at Lex Luthor because he was so comically criminal, whereas, of course, for younger people, that's all deadly serious. Uh, I used to watch the original Batman TV series with Adam West on uh, TV. Wasn't like there was much else to watch back in the days in rural west of Ireland, where we didn't have the channels, as they call them, referring to the UK channels. We just had, first of all, just RTE, then RT2, so RT1 and 2. And before that, just RT1. And so we were grand. Plenty of mass and public service announcements. Didn't do us any harm. Budget day, I hate it. That was the worst. But, uh, yeah, did I find the Batman cartoon or TV series with Adam West humorous? I must have when I was a kid. I mean, I couldn't have taken that too seriously, could I? They always had all the puns in it. Holy barracudas. And whatnot. Um, the Joker, the Riddler. And the fights with their bam, biff, punch graphics. Ah, don't you miss that? I would have been a better director back in those days of that kind of thing. Which segues neatly back to, from a similar era, The Deer Hunter. It is so good. I was talking to my friend Dennis about it last night, briefly. I think that was just a few texts. Chatting on the phone to Dara. Shout out to Dara in Paris there. About it. He loves it too. I mean, could I say it's a man's movie? I, I don't know. It, it certainly says a lot about masculinity. But my God. Uh, I mean, really. Only now do I appreciate this. I'm watching scenes with Bob De Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep. I'm not going to call him Bob, because that's give acting with, with faux familiarity, not my style. Get my fan up here. Oh, I'm glad I'm up and moving now. Yeah, no, if, if my treadmill had packed in... No, I, I was going to say I would have packed in the Camino. I wouldn't, because it's important for me to finish this. And at the end, I'll buy myself a new Camino ring if I don't find my old one. Hola, Mr or Mrs. Invisible Person. I'm not going to resync this. It's, it is what it is, as they say. Um, let me get some water into me, though. 
Jerry Seinfeld isn't a big fan of that statement. It is what it is. Hola. I kind of concur with him, but I say it too. Because I guess when you don't know what to say, you just say it. It is what it is. Um, I'm just hoping I'm not repeating part of the walk. I'm going to check my notes here, eh? What, what? Bear with me. Da -da -da -da. Oh my god. That's, I've been making rogue entries into my phone. That's never a good thing. You know the worst thing? When, well, it, I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. It's probably the third worst. Or thereabouts. It's in the top ten. When you butt dial someone... I don't know. That moment, late at night, when you butt dial someone and you're like... There's that moment where you can hear it ringing and you're searching for the phone. And you please don't let it be like a woman I was chatting to on, that I've just recently met on Tinder, you know? Or my boss or something. Happened me the other night and uh, it was neither of those. What great relief I felt upon realization that it was none of the above. Um, now I've got totally instructed. Deer Hunter, masculinity, eh? Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep, wow. Playing Michael and Linda, respectively. So, when I, I think it was just the third time I watched the film. That's not enough times to watch a film like that, in my humble opinion. Ah, oh, those old fashioned 70s type movies. Oh, man. That was the golden age of American cinema, without a doubt. Apparently, it inspired a lot of copycat Russian roulette fatalities. That's not so good. God, I started reading up on Russian roulette true stories, and oh, man, wish I didn't. Uh, stuff like that. I don't want to put stuff like that into my head anymore. Someone said to me years ago, images like that or ideas like that go into your head. Especially images, I think. They don't go out. They stay in there somewhere, you know? Whether that's watching violence or porn or whatever. I know Tarantino's defensive about all that, but yeah. I don't think he's the guy I'd be holding up as a role model for my kids that I don't have, but that I might have someday. But there you go, what, I don't know that much about him. Uh, talented filmmaker, I'll give him that. Nah, just got tired of the excess violence. Once upon a time in Hollywood, some great scenes, but the bit at the end, bashing a woman's face into a mantelpiece. People will defend and say she's a killer or whatever. I don't care, man, I, I really don't. Uh, there's just enough violence against women in the real world and in the world of fiction. And when it's gratuitous, ah, oh man, just, yeah, I know they say it's comic book style. That's what everybody says. It's bullshit. Anyway, I said to my brother the other day in a text, the new mythology is Star Wars. It's only a matter of time. We're ditching all the old mythologies, including, you know, Judeo-Christian mythologies. I'm not going to get into the debate of which part of that is history and which is mythology, because a large part of it functions as mythology, without a doubt. And uh, we're dumping that. And the faux mythologies of Star Wars and the likes Lord of the Rings and stuff. That's where we're headed. A lot of secularists will be happy with that. Already, apparently, the um, McDonald's logo, what do they call it? The Golden Archways? What a bullshit name for crap food. But anyway, I do eat it sometimes. Usually when I'm feeling crap and then I feel worse after. But, uh, Apparently, the golden arches of McDonald's 
are now more recognized than the crucifix, so I'm sure a lot of people will be happy with that. After all, consumerism is kind of the new religion, right? And that's certainly not me being deep, that's just sort of, uh, I think, pretty commonly held opinion. Anyway, where were we? The deer hunter. Let me have some water here. Oops. Oh, what happened there? I don't know. So we're back up and running. That's great. Damn it, I feel good when I get one of these under my belt. Today was a lazy day, Saturday. Yeah, I find sometimes I'm tired on Saturdays. Hola, Mr. Invisible Person. And uh, <clears throat> I know what I wanted to check. Before we go any further, make sure I'm on the right day. If we're not, I'm just going to cry. Um, let's have a look here. Hope, bear with me. Bear with me, sir. Hola. EK timings. I've got a spreadsheet here. Oh, I like a spreadsheet. Like Alan Johnson in, in Peep Show. He's a, he, he's a whore for the old spreadsheets. He's saying to Mark Corrigan, and, oh, just imagine flying first class with the big fuck-off spreadsheet in front of you. It doesn't get any better. Shout-out to Alan Johnson, my favourite character from Peep Show. Now, day nine. Aren't we on day nine? We are on day nine, okay. <coughs> which is 40-41. And I'm on hour two, which is day my day 41. Okay. Alrighty. So, the deer hunter. I'm telling you, I'm gonna sound like an old fogey. But, BK has stopped now. Are we back in sync? Because it sounds like he stopped and it looks like he stopped. And he's doing something and he's off. Oh. I dare say we're back in sync, old chap. Jolly good. Um, wherever was I? Uh, I was talking about. But obviously the deer hunter and Star Wars. And then I, God knows, I veered off. I started talking about mythology. Oh yeah, but you, you know, seriously, if the deer hunter now was it based on a novel, I suspect it was, I should know this kind of stuff. As usual, I haven't done my research. Let's get my fan on high here. Um, <clears throat> I haven't done my research, but it is my understanding that's a good legal way of phrasing things. Oh, the sound is gone again. Uh, no, I think it's... We're in sync. It is my understanding that The Deer Hunter may or may not be based on a novel. That's as much as you're going to get out of me, Your Honour. Otherwise, I plead the fifth. Okay. So, uh... But, anyway, nowadays, if they were making it on Netflix... They would, there would probably be more edits in it, definitely. Cutting back, maybe more cutty, cutting back and forward. There would be, I don't know if they'd play it out the way they do, like the way it works. Oh, we're not in sync, by the way, it doesn't matter. I don't care anymore, sync is overrated. Sync is bourgeois, there you go. It's like something Godard would say. Well, Finland said it. That's me, c'est moi. Qu'est-ce que c'est le sink? C'est bleu, Anyway, truth at 24 frames a second, Godard said. But this video is actually running at 29.97 frames per second, so go figure. It's truth plus, you know, whatever, a little bit more. So, hyper-truth. We like to call it, humbly. So, uh, the deer hunter. I was um, on the verge of stringing a few coherent sentences together to form something resembling a paragraph. <coughs> I'd never make it in academia. I've, I'm full of shit, so in one way I could, but 
you kind of have to research your crap as well. It's not, you know, it's not enough to be full of crap, as it turns out. Uh, felt weird swearing there. Yeah, I've decided. <clears throat> I don't think this is explicit, but I don't like swearing on a podcast. You know, when you have as many listeners as me, it just feels like it's all magnified. But the deer hunter. The scene that, the two scenes that exemplify, no, before I get into scenes, the structure of it, that I, it exemplifies that cinema from that period that maybe was a little more classical, I guess. But the structure of it <clears throat> was like the whole first sequence is America and the wedding, wedding day, isn't it? I think so. And it goes on and on, but it's so amazing. And it's kind of shown them all being happy together, but then it's also showing Meryl Streep's father punching her in the eye, in the face. So it's not rose tinted. And it's this Russian American town in <coughs> Pennsylvania. They're working in the steel mills. And uh, the scene where the Green Beret comes in, that's just amazing. And De Niro's buy this guy a drink. And then he wants to punch him because the guy's ungrateful. And the guy, Green Beret, makes a toast. He just goes, fuck it. That's all he has to say, say, fuck it. Then, of course, as Dennis pointed out to me, when De Niro comes back, he's, um, he is a Green Beret too. And he's seen a lot of crap. So the whole first section is the wedding in America. Oh, uh, not quite. I guess then the next section was part of the same sequence. I feel it is really, yeah. The next day they go deer hunting. And then De Niro gives a bollocking to John Katsale. I can't pronounce it. Who plays, oh man. Is it Sam? No, I... Apologies. There was never one for names. Names are also bourgeois. Who knew? So, gives him a bollocking for not bringing his shoes. But here's what really got me about it. Like, De Niro is portrayed as this sort of quintessential man, strong, emotionally... You, well, on one level, emotionally repressed, but then you watch the whole film, I would say he's emotionally strong. And it comes down to when they talk about, when you talk about what's the good way to be nowadays, and men should be more open and more in touch with their emotions. I'm, I would say, you know, I'm one of those guys who would have been traditionally more in touch with my emotions. Honestly, don't know how well it served me in life. I think it's a question of balance, you know? The masculine and the feminine within. I found more balance now with that. The feminine is the receptive, creative side. I think all artists have to have that, even tough guys like Hemingway. The masculine side is the doing side. So even female artists who, who get stuff done, it's a symbiosis of masculine and feminine. I think with both, I'll get in trouble for saying that. Luckily, I've, hopefully none of my five listeners are uh, too politically engaged. But anyway, that's my take on it. And, uh, but there is the idea that, you know, holding, for instance, Okay, this is something Jordan Peterson said, and again, people have been cancelled for just even mentioning his name. It's kind of like the joke in Monty Python, you know, that killer joke. It's so powerful, if one person reads it, they die. So to use it against the Germans, they translated it into German, but they had to break up the translating team where people only knew a portion of the joke, and they still got really ill from translating that. Well, Jordan Peterson is like that, so saying his name is enough. I probably should have made an anagram of his name and 
or spelt it out over the course of the episode or something to stop my cancellation. But I don't know, I've listened to some of the stuff. Some of the stuff I like, some not as much. Every time I see him been shut down, like he tends he makes a lot of rational arguments and he's not countered with rational arguments. That said, I do think he's able to frame things to suit his argument, but I don't think I haven't seen people taking on him on in his own terms, which would be more interesting. Um, I do think he's genuine. I don't think he's a dick. Imagine that. But anyway, one thing he said was, you know, like, I guess this was aimed at men, but it could be anyone, but being strong at your parents' funeral can be a good thing. If you're the strong one at your parents' funeral. So, a lot of these strong, silent Irish men, yeah. A lot of them aren't great examples, I think. You know, the ones who are strong, silent, then get drunk and hit their girlfriends or something. That's, sorry, mate, that's not anything to be proud of. But De Niro in The Deer Hunter, I gotta watch it again, it's so powerful. So he is a strong, silent man. Okay, emotionally repressed. Then you see him in Nam and you realize he's emotionally strong. He holds it all together. Poor old Nick, no, not Nick, Steve, has a nervous breakdown. Oh. I mean, the scenes where they're in the cage underneath the um, Russian roulette game early, in, early on in Vietnam and listening to the game, seeing bits of it, but, but hearing it, and Steve. Who's the actor's name again? John Savage, isn't it? Just falling apart. I found that the hardest part of the whole film to watch. Just, I really, the acting was extraordinary. And I know there's no evidence that the Vietnamese were forcing people to play uh, Russian roulette, but that was, it, it's just a great analogy for war, as Roger Ebert said, the randomness of it all. And uh, then you have John Casale. I really should have learned to pronounce his name before starting this episode. God forbid I'd ever do any prep. Ooh, some walkers just went off left there, but BK is soldiering on. It's a misty day in Spain, by the way, between Azofra and Santo Dominga de la Calzada. Santo Dominga de la Calzada. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure doing a kind of cartoonish accent is really uh, going to win the locals over. So, anyway. Casale, he's going around with the, this Mickey Mouse gun, tiny little gun. He's messing with it back when De Niro comes back and De Niro just goes crazy. She takes all the bullets out, puts one in, spins the chamber, puts it to Casale's head and pulls the trigger and then goes outside and just throws the gun away. Wow. Oh, man. But what I want to get at today, back to De Niro. So one impression I got from this viewing was... You know, Casale says to De Niro at one stage, hey, how come you never get together with any ladies? I set you up and you never uh, get together with anyone. And you know what? I think you're a faggot. That's the scene where where Casale doesn't bring his boots and De Niro won't give him his boots. And again, that's De Niro. He's super organized, that kind of overly masculine to the point of, you know, maybe being on the spectrum. They didn't really have that language in the 70s. But, um, yeah. Uh, so Kitsali says, you know, you know what, I think you're a faggot. And uh, he's like, uh, I'm looking up afterwards. See, I came to the conclusion, and I'd need to watch it again, that I think the Christopher Walken character, Nick, uh, might be gay. Nick, isn't it? Yeah. And so then I look it up, and of course people are saying, hey, is Robert De Niro gay in, in, 
they had in um, the deer hunt. I'm like, really? Just because, I mean, like, it's obvious, right? He's in love with Meryl Streep. And, and she's in love with him, right? I'm trying to figure this out. Because I was watching, I watched it in two halves, you see. There, this is the last two days. And in the middle, just, I stopped actually just before De Niro comes back to America. Again, that's what I like about the structure. It's America, Nam, America, Nam, America. And, you know, I'm pretty sure nowadays the Netflix execs would have you intercutting, keep everyone interested. And they definitely would have had one scene where I thought, okay, I'm going all over the place here, but what can you do? When De Niro comes back, the famous scene where he goes out to shoot the deer again, goes out shooting, hunting. And they got the beautiful Orthodox, Russian Orthodox music playing, oh my God. And uh, he can't shoot the deer. Now in my mind's eye, I remembered that scene. In my head, I'd reconstructed it as a more modern type editing structure, you know, like I was sure you would have had Okay, wide shot of De Niro, you know, and the, the deer in the distance up on the hill, but then like close on De Niro's eye, close through the crosshairs, telephoto shot of the deer, you know, milk it. You could really milk it with the editing. But it's not like that at all. It's like wide shot sort of from behind De Niro, I think they see the deer in the distance and a sort of mid shot in front of De Niro and then wide, maybe medium long shot of the deer falling or something. It's, and you know what? It's all the better for it. I just couldn't see Netflix unless it's, you know, big shot director, but if it's a hack director, I think they'd be all over it with, you know, getting the angles. So that's my two cents. Back to the main topic of today. So I'm looking up and people are saying really silly things. Well, like, is De Niro gay in Deer Hunter? Surely he isn't. And it's his love for Nick is brotherly love. He says, I'll bring you back. So now, then I found a piece written on a blog by a gay writer who identified as gay and said, yeah, Deer Hunter is a gay love story predating... Um, Brokeback Mountain. Gotta love these people, their only reference is American cinema, but anyway. Any, anywho, let's not go there. Um, so, predating Brokeback Mountain. And so he's saying, yeah, it's a love story between the two. And then you have like De Niro stripping off naked, running after the car at the wedding scene. And then, yeah, then he's lying down naked and walking comes up puts something, you know, throws a shirt or whatever on top of his bits and pieces. <laughs> I nearly said bollocks. Well, I said it now. I love the way Maureen Dowd, writing in the New York Times, by the way, uses the term bollocks sometimes. B-O-L-L-I-X-E-D. Like, that's an English, you know, British slang. It ain't American. But she uses it, but, you know, she's like, hey, she's a male woman, you know? She's She's, oh, she's a class act. She is my favorite columnist of the day, I think. You know, Paul Krugman is interesting on numbers and stuff, but Maureen Dowd, you know, it's her incisiveness and she's, she really doesn't get too partisan. And also, but just her brilliant writing and her humor. She is like, whew, man. As Michael Lowry, the Irish politician, would say, and not bad looking either. But we don't say things like that nowadays, but she's just a class act, come on, come on. I'm allowed to say, she, yeah, she's attractive too, but her writing is attractive, her mind is attractive. Her humor is attractive. Oh man. Yeah, more in doubt. I probably couldn't talk about her for an hour because I haven't read enough of her columns and I can't remember them verbatim. How did I get onto her?
Oh yeah, bollocks. So, De Niro and uh, Walken. I, I don't buy the thing that they're both gay and he's saying, it is a love story between the two, absolutely. But it's brotherly love. Um, but in a physical way, no, De Niro loves Streep, right? I'm, I'm gonna have to watch it again and figure this out. Cause I was half thinking, my mind had been altered by reading this stuff halfway through the film. But then I'm watching it and De Niro clearly, cause I really had forgotten a lot. He clearly, you know, he's in a motel when he comes back and he takes, he's carrying a picture of Streep in his wallet. That's his wallet, isn't it? It's not, it's not a, um, Nick's. I'm not missing something, am I? So here we go, we're coming into a little town here, a village or something. Zofra, Santa Domingo de la Calzada. Oh yeah, on this day I was still walking, wondering would I catch up with, with uh, Julia from Roma. I nearly said someone else's name there. Ooh, that would have been embarrassing. So, uh, is this the ghost town? There was a ghost town I passed. True, that was really weird. All these new developments, nobody there. Um, it would be somewhere along here, I think. En route here, between Azofra and here, I think, I met a couple, lovely young couple, selling fruit and little icons and things. I bought something off them, but I remember there was a suggested price, or no, there was a donation, and I, not bragging or anything, <clears throat> but I gave it, you know, relatively generous donation. You know, a thousand euros or something for an apple. No, I don't know, I gave it fiver or something, I, whatever. But there was what seemed like an affluent American there, and he was like haggling, trying to give them as little as possible. I'm like, dude, they were driving a banger. They're from this area. Here, is this the, um, the area that seemed economically not doing great? Is this the sort of ghost town? Oh, hold on, where are we going here? Where are we at? Where are you off to be, Kay? Huh? Are we going in, into a building? Are we? No, we're not. He's, he's going away quickly. He saw something he didn't like. Possibly a man with a gun I couldn't really see. So, onwards, the Christian soldiers. And, um, deer hunter. But, yeah, so he's, De Niro's got a picture of Streep, and then, oh, there's an edit here, so, obviously BK stopped to eat. I guess it would be weird if he had the camera on while eating. And hopefully it'll be in sync now, you know? It's gone silent. Mm -hmm. I reckon it's going to be in sync now. Finally, he took the hint. So I got about 20 minutes to go. Then I got to somehow eat and watch Tommy Tuned and make a phone call to someone that I said I'd call her later. So, all go here in Moycullen, Galway, Ireland. And I got to do some writing later. Oh my God. Where does he get the energy, you might ask? I ain't telling, because that's one of life's sweet secrets. That's a line from an old ad in Ireland. I think it's a Fig Rolls ad, or is it Steve Silverman? No, it's Fig Rolls. They go, how do you get the figs into the Fig Rolls? And there's a character called Faker Baker. <laughs> and then there's, who's the detective guy, the cool guy? Anyway, Faker Baker, hey, Faker Baker, how do you get the figs into the Hey, how do you get the figs into the fig rolls? He's, do you just get the figs in the dough and the... And then they all start laughing at him. Then they ask the cool guy. It's a cartoon, by the way. Hey, so how do you get the figs into the fig rolls? He says, I ain't telling, because that's one of life's sweet secrets. Ah, such great scripting. They, they don't do, make him like that anymore. Do you just get the figs in the dough and the... <laughs> Faker Baker. It reminds me of the Hamburglar. I think I mentioned before, I was at a Van Morrison concert. And, uh, and what happened? 
Oh, my friend just comes up beside me and Kevin McCarthy. And he says, uh, he just says, Van, he just says the Hamburglar pointing at Van. And he, like he looks just, he did look like the Hamburglar. Hats off to Kevin for his astute observation. So, uh, I was telling my friend Dara a story on the phone last night. And uh, I was like, well, did I tell it here and would I? I probably wouldn't. Sorry, Dara. It was a strange encounter I had in Budapest with um, a young um, Palestinian, no, no, a Pakistani woman, I think, who was, I won't tell the whole story. But we got chatting and I ended up being invited to a room. I don't really remember. Oh, it looks like I'm telling the story. It's not, it's not like erotic or anything. I mean, I thought it was heading that way at the time maybe, but it's actually, it's kind of sad though, actually the, the ending of it, but she invited me to a room. I'd been hit by a car the day before. I wasn't, um, badly hurt, but I was shocked and my elbow was, you know, sore and bloodied. I didn't go to a hospital, I just treated myself. It, yeah, it was a guy coming around the corner. Of course, I forgot they don't observe the traffic lights there. I'd just come out from a film, actually. That was it, I was a bit disoriented. Walked down across the street. He was coming around the corner, hit me. Everything went slow motion, I went over the bonnet. But really only hurt my I think right elbow or something. But I'm hanging around the hostel the next day. I'm not really going to go out, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I got chatting to the Pakistani woman uh, who was w worked in the hostel as a cleaner. And uh, yeah, she must have. She invited me to her room. I trust me, I'm no um, charmer, you know. But anyway. And I'm sitting, there's only a bed to sit on. I'm sitting beside her on the bed and she gives me, she takes out a bottle of beer from the fridge, puts on some music. And it felt like a scene from a film, like everything was going so well. But then she started showing me photographs from her arranged marriage, in which they both looked, didn't look that happy. I said, are you happy to be married? She said, yeah, yes. So then I was a bit confused, what's going on here? Um, but, I mean, all I can say is she was attractive and nice, so, from what I could see, and I think her husband, I'd be pretty happy, you know, in an arranged marriage, if I met someone like her, I think. Obviously, you don't know someone until you're with them a while, but, anyway. But then there was a knock on the door and she goes to the door and she's talking to a guy in English and I could pretty clearly fill in the gaps. I'm just trying to see, is this the ghost? See, I have the sad lamp in my eyes. That's right, I'm living the dream. Two cats, a treadmill and a sad lamp. There's gotta be a country western song to be written about that. And says, you, I'm just the man to write it. God, you know something. I might just, I might just try that. Two cats, a treadmill and a sad lamp. They really should have called it a happy lamp. It would be much better marketing. So, but the, anyway, the guy, they're talking in English. So what I gathered was, I gleaned pretty quickly, he's from the mosque. I don't know, was he an imam, but he was an, her English, no, Arabic teacher from the mosque, right? So she probably spoke I don't know, Pashtun or, actually, I don't know what are the languages and dialects of Pakistan, but either way, Arabic wasn't her main language, but she was studying it in the mosque. So someone in the hostel must have phoned him and said, there's, she's, there's a guy in her room. So, and then I hear him say to her, I'm crapping it, to be honest. I'm just like, uh, out of my comfort zone, I guess. And to say the least. So he he says, may I come in? Have you got someone in there? She says, just a guest. 
May I come in, he said. He comes in, he looks at me. I'm sitting there, pale, white, Irish dude in shorts, sitting cross-legged with a bottle of beer in my hand. I don't think I'm his kind of guy to hang out with. You know, I don't think he's, I'm the kind of guy he would uh, extol as a virtuous man, shall we say. Just a wild guess. So I look up and say, oh, hi. And he goes, hi, hi, with justice. Certainly sounded like hatred in his voice to me. And, uh, and she just says, I, th I think you better leave now. And I left. And I think I must have left Budapest the next day because I definitely would have tried to follow up. I just wonder what happened to her after that. I hope nothing too bad. But I'm not going to generalize about cultures and things, but she should have been able to say to him, no, you can't come into my room. Absolutely. So, anyway. Uh, I'm nice and warm now. So, looking forward to finishing. I'll talk more about the deer hunter maybe tomorrow. I went off on a tangent there. How did I get onto that? I think just I'd been talking to Dara about it yesterday. I had a dream last night that my friend Aaron in New York, who gets a mention here every so often, <laughs> was teaching me how to um, put on nappies. <laughs> and it was like with the, she had a nappy and she had some, something, a stand-in for, you know, poo, basically. And it was white, it was like pseudocreme or something, I don't know. Yeah, this is the ghost town, isn't it? It's just, I can't see right with bloody sand lamp in the way, you know the way it is. Two cats, a treadmill, a sad lamp, and me. Na -na 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 -na. I'll try and write it like a John Prine song. Now that's cocky to even mention the word I, John Prine, in the same sentence. Should surely, I'd like to think that is in Nashville, that would be uh, considered, and in Kentucky, of course, uh, you know, a crime. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, punishable by, I'd say in some counties, in the, but Paradise County, is that where John Prine is? He's got a song about that. In his home county in Kentucky, where he was born, they probably have a bylaw, you know, if you mention the word I and John Prine in the same sentence without knowing him closely or being related to him. You spend like 60 days in the county jail and maybe get flogged or something publicly and then ban banished forever from the town. That would be appropriate. I think most John Prine fans would concur. God rest his soul. But anyway, we don't have that law here so well. We should have it in Kinvara. That's where John Prine spent time with his wife Fiona and kids. We should, um, then maybe they have that law there. So, I mean, people played in, in pub sessions with him. I never saw that. Oh, I wish I saw that. I just met him and chatted to him in the local Londa store once. And briefly in a bar in Campbell's Tavern outside Hedford. Um, Oh, I went total tangent. Two cats, a treadmill, a sad lamp, and me. Na 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 na. Oh, that's I'm already doing it to the air of John Prine. How pathetic is that? I was just rip off merchant. Na 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 na. John and Lydia made love that night. And then there's my dear Abby, similar. Dear Abby, dear Abby. It's typical me, I don't know the words. I do know all the words of Sam Stone. 
but for copyright reasons, and also for the fact that I would butcher it, I'm not going to do it. Sorry. Ain't happening. He plays Sam Stone, I think, at all his gigs. And the rendition I saw of it in Galway a few years ago, I think it was his last Galway gig. Oh, it was beautiful. Jason Wilbur, his guitarist, is also the musical arranger. Oh, man, that was so beautifully done. Oh, beautiful. See, when I talk about John Prine, it's just lose track of everything else. But the deer hunter. So is, um, anyway, I, I think the reason I think Nick, no, yeah, Nick, yeah, might be gay. Well, when he proposes, so first of all, Streep and De Niro have the strong just relationship. You can see it in the body language, everything. Oh, by the way, they also sleep together in the final act, so they don't show the details of it, but, and they do it in motel rooms and it feels sort of secretive. But no, so, uh, you know, he is in love with Meryl Streep. She's in love with him. And I guess she's in love with Nick, or loves him at least. But he, Nick proposes to her at the wedding when he's drunk. And it's almost, it feels a bit arbitrary. He's like, oh yeah, I better propose. And there was something about them going away. Maybe. I thought if he proposes, it's something to come back for. So that doesn't mean he's gay, but there's a scene, and I'll have to look at it again. It's the only one that really stands out in, that makes that explicit. He, after they shoot the deer in act one, they go back to a bar, open up the bar that one of them owns, and they're drinking beer. And, and then one of them starts playing the piano. It's really interesting. These are Russian-Americans. What's the piece he plays? I don't know. Is it Chopin or is it a Russian composer? But melancholy, beautiful. And they all just go quiet. And they all form this kind of tableau. One of them is lying down on the pool table. Um, De Niro comes down, puts his, sort of leans against him. And the others are sitting around and it forms this beautiful tableau. And it's the last shot you see before they cut to Vietnam to a helicopter. Such a beautiful film. But there is, when the guy first starts playing the piano, uh, Walken and De Niro exchange glances. And smile, they smile at each other, their eyes meet and they smile. And then De Niro looks away. And then Walken, there's just that look in his eyes. And I'm pretty sure that for me, it, this, that's more than brotherly love. I guess it's open to interpretation. I mean, like all the great films or great art, you know? It's not ramming it down your throat. <laughs> Sorry, that seems like an unfortunate analogy. Anyway, um, and I don't mean to be crude because it's just such a great film. How are we on time? Oh, seven minutes. I thought, for a second, I thought it was going to be ahead of time. Anyway, we're doing okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course, I couldn't help but observe now that I'm into watches. Oh, what kind of watch does De Niro have? It's a Rolex Seamaster, I believe. Is that what they call it? Something like that? It looked quite big for that era. I thought watches weren't as big as that back then. Anyway. I'm loving my Seiko mini turtle. And my Tissot gentleman is more of a dress watch. I offered it to my brother when he was back, and he, but he said he wasn't into it, so I guess I'm keeping it. It's just about the Tissot, then about the Seiko, and I was like, oh, if I'd bought the Seiko first, that probably would have been it. That's okay. They were a little pricey, you know, but bought with money I saved because I didn't go on holidays during lockdown and uh, I'm not the only person to do that to have bought stuff during lockdown I'm not really into materialism and bling and stuff so I have to say it's really foggy here in between Azofra and Santo Domingo de, de la Calzada really foggy reminds me of kind of Irish weather
or San Francisco, which I've never been to. The Fog. Remember that film? By anyone? Anyone? Correct. John Carpenter. I think he did all his own music, didn't he? He did, I think. Certainly did the theme music for Halloween. That's a scary film. That's still scary. Those old-fashioned horrors. They don't really go for the deep psychoanalysis stuff. But they're scary as all hell. It's just the whole thing of Jamie Lee Curtis trying to get into the house. And is it Michael? Is that the name of the killer? Or Jason, isn't it? Walking towards her. Just that whole thing. He walks slow, but he keeps catching up with her. It's like, oh. It's just like straight out of Nightmaresville, you know? I remember watching it with my mother <clears throat> years ago. And it's on. We were alone in the house. I think my dad was away, but we're watching it. And Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to open the door of the house and she drops the keys and everything. Jason's getting closer and closer and closer. And eventually my mother goes, my mother, who never swears, really, will you open the fucking door? <laughs> Oh, stop. And another time I was at a film, horror film, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> and someone goes out to the um, shop to get popcorn or go to the toilet or whatever. They come back and they're walking up the aisle <laughs> and it's a really tense scene. I'm watching it through my fingers, I think. Yeah, I know, not very manly, what can you do? and intense scene. And then the person coming back, they slip and their hand touches someone and the person screams and the whole cinema bursts out laughing. Ah, that was a great moment. How are we doing on time? I got like three minutes to go. Okay. Let's try and do two tomorrow or three. Did I do four one morning? Maybe tomorrow, I never know. It'd be nice, honestly, to get ahead. So, let's see. Happy with how the writing's going, but the pressure never lets up while I have the editor. And then also, got this deadline now. There's the write novel fair, Irish novel fair. I'll be going for that as a deadline. But also then sending it to publishers. But, or later in the year. But I was nearly going to try and squeeze it in last year. There's no way. No, no, I wasn't ready. I mean, I could have squeezed in the first three chapters, but I wasn't even ready to write a proper synopsis because it was so up in the air. And then technically, even if I pulled that off, you would have to submit your... Oh, if you get shortlisted, the full draft. But then you have a couple of months maybe to tweak that. But no, it was just... No, this year now... I'll be well primed for that, God willing. Um, still need to work quite hard to hit that, but now it's doable and it's good to have that target. Damn it, I need the targets, you know? And so then I think by the end of the year, I should be in a position to start sending it out. A really good first three chapters, a really good synopsis. And I guess be close to finishing a final dra draft. Like, I think there's a point where I could send it out and I'm still working away at, on the end of it, but, you know, a lot of work has been done on it. Though they do say, you know, really get it as good as possible. I just know, I feel like I'm turning 50 this year and I really want to get, you know, get it out there. I wish I'd been this dedicated before, but there you go. Uh, we just got a minute to go here. This is your captain speaking. We're preparing for landing. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, walking with us on the Camino on a treadmill, day nine. Uh, just like to warn you, it's uh, let you know it's it's foggy out there in uh, Spain and it's a uh, pitch black here in my Cullen. So uh, thank you for flying with James Finland podcast. Hope to see you tomorrow. <sighs> okay, I'm running out of things to say. I'm walking here. Okay. So where are we? 30 seconds to go. Two cats, a treadmill, a sad lamp and me. Na 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 na. You know what? 
if I do sing that and get it and play it and get a semi-decent recording, I'll upload it as a bonus podcast. How about that? Okay. <laughs> oh, I need to record an intro for this. That could be the intro. Yeah. I was going to do an intro. It was more like, hey, I used to be a really successful guy. And then I, you know, those humble brag ones. I used to be sleeping with loads of beautiful women. And I had like millions of dollars. But something was missing. Oh, those guys annoy me. I'm like, stop bragging, man. Something was missing. Okay, we're done. So, Juan Camino, God bless. See you tomorrow.